Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the State of Play podcast, episode 125. Myself and Matt Santangelo today, our very special guest, which we'll introduce in a second. But Matt, just wanted uh, to see how you're doing. Your technological issues have been resolved for the time being. Um, you, How was the Premier League weekend? Uh, the first weekend, did you watch anything? Oh, yeah, the, inter- the internet actually worked and the connection worked, so I was able to watch some... Uh... <laughs> some Premier League action on the weekend. Um, but yeah, no, it's it's uh, obviously great to be back chatting with you. And um, yeah, I'm just happy football season's back at full swing. Yes. And the Premier League obviously wasn't the only league that started because we previewed that already. And we have our one of our two favorite League Loon guests, and his name is Tom Skulls from Talk Sport. Tom, how are you? Not bad, thanks. How are you guys doing? Good, good, good. I mean, listen, uh, we were very excited to talk some Yassine Adley, especially Matt and myself. I know, I know Matt more so than me because that was, uh, that was something he wanted to bring up. And, and you and I were chatting, um, prior to the show starting about, you know, just the whole landscape of Lagoon and everything. So, so what was your first impressions from opening? match day? Obviously, and there goes Matt's puppies. Um, and obviously, PSG is just, I, 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 I want to start with them. Clearly, when we talked last year, and it was really interesting because you were the first one to say this because everybody was jumping on, oh my God, the additions of Messi, Donnarumma, Sergio Ramos, and all these other figures on top of what they have with Neymar and Mbappe. Everyone was like, they're going to win this, they're going to win the treble, sextuple, like everything you could imagine, PSG was going to win. But you said at first, for a multitude of reasons, that they really weren't going to play as great of football as some people might expect. And you were bang on with it. They only won Lehoon last year. So what did you see so far in one match day that is completely different than last season? What stood out, and it's, you know, it's not tactical. This isn't, I'm not getting any pie charts out. The data is, <laughs> is tucked away for this. But the players looked happy. And that sounds quite trivial, it was, it's been a long time since some Neymar and Messi looked truly happy throughout a game because they were allowed to be themselves. They were allowed to be Neymar. They were allowed to be Messi. Hakimi was fantastic. Mendes was fantastic on the, on the wingbacks. Um, what happened was that, I think I said it when we spoke last time, that this squad, certainly last year, as poorly as assembled as it was, was built for a three-at-the-back system. They never really played that under Pochettino because he's a 4-2-3-1 kind of guy. He was at Tottenham. He was at Paris Saint-Germain. He will be wherever he goes next. That's just how he is. And it serves him well when he has a squad that's built for that formation. But when it isn't built for that formation, it's a bit sketchy. What they did at the weekend was Gaussier has clearly recognized a new manager, Christophe Gaussier, who beat them to the title with Lille and did quite well to a point with a young Nice squad last season. He's arrived, mm. and he's kind of just embraced. Look, these players are brilliant. Let them be brilliant. Because with all due respect, and, and we spoke off there, I think the quality of Liga is very, very good. But if you just let Messi be Messi, he's going to do what he did against the club on foot of the weekend. He's going to be incredible. Because if he can do that against top sides in Europe for many years, and in, in, in Spain for many years, he's going to do it against the, the minnows of French football. That's just how he is. It's the same with Neymar. It'll be the same with Mbappe when he comes back. I think 
I mean, Neymar looks happy. He looks in the zone. Maybe that's because mm. Gautier has basically said to him, Gautier, a new sporting director, Luis Campos, has basically said to him, up your game or you're off. Or he's kind of like, I need to get my fitness up. I need to be informed because I've got a World Cup to win in November, December. He's on form. Why he's on form is up to him. Um, I'm, I don't really care as long as he's on form and he's happy and he's performing. But the whole team, it looks like a better unit than it has done for a while. And I think that was that's important. There was too many times last season where it would be dross for 89 minutes, but for that one minute, Kylian Mbappe scored and they've won the game. Or they've got a, a, a late goal from a deflected shot or an iffy decision that's gone their way, which happened quite a lot of times last season. I think... They've built a squad as well. I admire squads that build really well and buy smartly. Liverpool have done it for years. Manchester City have done it for years. They've not bought necessarily the best players but the, or the biggest name players, but they've bought the players that fit the system. For too many years, that's what Paris Saint-Germain did. Too many years, they would buy players because it's marketing value or they'll do really well for a couple of games, but they, they won't necessarily fit into a system kind of like what happened last year. But they bought players who have either worked under Gaussier, i.e. with Renato Sanchez, who for the life of me thought it was going to AC Milan. Um, I even wrote a piece about him being a good addition to AC Milan, which had to be altered when it, re- when it became obvious it wasn't going to AC Milan. Or they bought players that suit the system. Mordi Mukiele knows the league. He was in Montpellier before he went to RB Leipzig. He can play as a right-sided centre-back in a three or as a backup for a right-back. I think if they get Milan Strina from Inter Milan, that's another good signing. Unbelievable. Uh, if they get that. You have a potential defence of uh, Kimpembe on the left, Skriniar in the middle, Marquinhos on the right, or whatever variations they want to play, with Sergio Ramos filling in when needed. That's not bad. I think you've also got a point where they've built well across the summer in terms of signings. They're going to probably sign Fabian Ruiz from Napoli as well, who is an upgrade on what they've got. If they sell the Deadwood that's at the club, even better. The players look happy. The coach actually wants to be there. He's not touting moves to Tottenham Hotspur or Manchester United, as Pochettino did. I just think the overall atmosphere at the club is much better now than it has been for probably two to three years. And Tom, you know, obviously there's there's a lot to, to sort through with PSG. I think for years now... Um, They've been the consensus favorite in, in the French League. We all know that. But the, the real aim for them is the Champions League. Um, we, we talked about the players they have, the household names. We all know them. The additions they've made this summer, of course, Sanchez being um, one that kind of stings a little bit. But in any case, if you look at their actual squad build, um, Gaultier is a coach, Campos, director. Uh, realistically, I'm, I'm thinking more so in 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 the, the grander scheme of things with the Champions League. Do you think this... Is this the year where you feel the, that they're they're more the most equipped to make that that Champions League dream come true, or do you still think there are deficiencies in the squad or some concerns that maybe when it gets to that competition, when the competition's stiffer, they they still fall short compared to the likes of City or you know Real Madrid, so on and so forth. I think I know it's you know I have. Every year I pick them to win the Champions League because it started off as an actual prediction and now it's just become like a bit of a bit. I don't think they'll win the Champions League, but I can't back down from it. I have to back them. But this is the <laughs> first time in a while that I'm like, okay, this isn't 
this isn't like previous years, as a, for the reasons I spoke about just then. Or I think what the point I'm trying to get at is the deficiencies that you mentioned aren't on the pitch. Despite the fact I've just slated them for how they were built on Leonardo last year and across the past couple of years, deficiencies that plague Paris Saint-Germain in Europe is not playing, it's not football, it's mental. It's the mentality side of things. Against Real Madrid uh, last year, when Real Madrid did the first of their many amazing comebacks, Paris Saint-Germain were the best team for about 120 minutes of that game. But for the time they weren't the best, you know, they, they didn't control the game. Real Madrid just happened to score three goals and knock them out. So, and it was all in quick succession from pretty basic errors from Donnarumma, from Marquinhos, from, you know, anybody you can name in that team. The problem isn't about them beating teams because the star power they have means they can beat anybody when on their day. You have Kylian Mbappe, you have a chance. It's as simple as that. The difference is what happens when they go 1-0 down in the big tie? Do they shrink? Do they collapse like they have done in previous years? Do they wilt under the pressure or do they buck their ideas up and kind of go, no, this is different now. This is a new look team. This is a new look mentality, all of that kind of thing. So can they win it? Of course they can. You know, I think they're probably one of five teams that you've put forward to, to win it along with probably like Man City, Liverpool, and you're probably sticking by Munich, Real Madrid and Paris Saint-Germain in there because that they, they're always involved. Yeah. But I think we won't really understand how far this team has grown by the time the Champions League kicks out in September and they come up against um, top quality opposition and they're in a situation that requires them to, to use their mental strength to fight back because that's what's plagued them for years. It's never been about the quality on the pitch. They've always beaten teams well. But it's the collapses they need to stop. They need to stop the remontada against Barcelona, against Manchester United, against Real Madrid. It's happened far too many times. And until we see them in those situations, I know it's quite easy to say, but we won't know how well they do until they come up to that situation. Simply because of how the league is structured, they will beat teams nine times out of ten, and they will be challenged for a handful of games. It was. It isn't until the knockout ground, knockout rounds, or the first big group stage game they have where people go, this is different. Mm. And, and and that's the interesting thing, too, because they have so many Champions League winners on the side, like the, like some of the greatest Champions League players ever. You arguably have, right, and Messi's top two in the competition. I mean, I think I would have Cristiano number one, just strictly on the competition solely. Sergio Ramos is arguably the greatest defender that they've had. They have a Euro winner in net. I mean, Mbappe's won a World Cup. Neymar's won a Champions League. It's so fascinating to see that that creeped in for them. And to me, it's kind of like, is there anything else that you think actually matters for them besides a, a Champions League win this year? I, I, don't, I don't see how they're not able to do that. And the Messi point to me, I think is really fascinating because you saw it last year with the way he played at PSG. And then the second there was the international break and you saw him play mm. with Argentina. And you're like, this is a completely different player in terms of energy and just like feeding off of that. Yeah, granted, he was a little unfortunate from time to time when he kept hitting the post. But what we saw in that first match and what we saw in June against Italy, that's the greatest player in the world still. And if that's the case and they still had Kylian Mbappe and if Neymar is healthy... Is that, I think that's everything they envisioned. And I have to say, the Campo signing for the guy that beat him twice in Ligue 1 <laughs> since they really started this, you know, I guess you could call, call them a superpower within France for sure. 
but just one of the superpowers financially in Europe. It, 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 do you feel like that vibe is is it's it's right there? The kind of aura about them, and maybe we we need time to figure this out because we know all these group matches are going to be played within the Champions League prior to the World Cup starting um, in November. Basically, my question is: Is this officially like this is the turning point in this club's history? Because there's levels to it, right? Like they could dominate the league all they want. That's been proven. That was going to happen no matter what. But is this where they finally turn the tide? The, the the point that Manchester City and PSG have been spending all these hundreds of millions on was to just win this one competition. Is this where they finally do it? I think this is probably as good a time as any, to be perfectly honest. Because you look at, like you said, Campos has built the, the last two teams that beat them to a title. And one of the things I've always kind of liked Bayern Munich for, or at least respected, is what did they do when Borussia Dortmund were emerging on the clock. They took Miro Goethe, they then took <laughs> Robert Lewandowski. If you can't beat them, sign them. <laughs> and there's a stat that went around that um, Uruguay Katike, that they signed from Rams, he's the first player from uh, Liga that they signed since Kylian Mbappe. They then made it a second one with Renato Sanchez. But until... Ekatike, they hadn't signed it. There was no player between Mbappe which and Ekatike. Which was fascinating because even their youth system was dominating. And they, and they have all these talented players in their backyard. And then they're like, let's give $60 million for Mauro Icardi, who is the <laughs> absolute abject disaster at Inter. And you're like, why are you doing that when you don't have to? Is there a reason behind it? Because a lot of people are just always of, of, under the assumption of, hey, these clubs don't want to sell to Paris because of, you know, like the ownership issues and all that stuff. Is that a myth in your eyes? I think the bad decisions at the club just come from incompetency, to be, to be brutally honest. Like, there's no secret kind of, oh, there's no aura. Like, for example, clubs don't want to deal with Tottenham Hotspur or didn't want to deal with Tottenham Hotspur because Daniel Levy had built up a reputation of driving a hard bargain or taking a deal to the last minute. And that kind of backfired against him towards the end until Paratici arrived and he essentially took over the reins of um, transfers. Yeah. You take that power away from Daniel Levy and the club's completely different. With Paris Saint-Germain, <laughs> I think what had happened was they signed a Cardi on loan. He did well. I believe he did well because it's like, I have a theory that if you have players who are fighting for something and trying to prove a point, they're going to be very good. And then when they get that contract, they just kind of give up because they've got what they wanted. And I think he's a prime example of that. The year he was on loan, I think it was the year that just before COVID has struck, he was playing mm. as well as he could. I can't stand the guy, but I'll give him credit. He played <laughs> well in that team for Tuchel. But... To then go and spend the money they did on him is like a, why are you doing this? Like, <laughs> where's the logic yeah. in any of this? Not just, Akadi yeah. is the one that people point to and laugh at, and I'm going to point and laugh at him. But it's also things like you said, um, Edouard Michu is probably gone. He's been, he's training with the reserves because he isn't keen on signing in the contract. Chevy Simons has gone to PSV Eindhoven, which I think is a great move for him because he'll yeah. get game time. But the path, Pathway to the first team for these players has been blocked by um, Tilo Kera, who was signed for like 40 million from Schalke, and Herrera, who was a free transfer but was on ridiculous wages. They're now struggling to move him. Genie Wijnaldum was the same thing. I know he's gone to Roma, but that was a slog to get rid of him. Julian Draxler, 
these are good players who have been massively overpaid for too long. What they are now doing is that you look at the trend that they're using of Ekatike, Sanchez, Rukiele. They're players who are young, but have grown up in a time where playing for Paris Saint-Germain is a big deal. And they, they are, they're not big time yet, if you, if you know what I mean. Like, sure. Gini Wijnaldum had done everything by the time he arrived at Paris Saint-Germain. What was there left for him to prove other than €250,000 a week living in one of the fanciest cities in the world? You reverse that with Renato Sanchez and go, what's he got to prove? Everything. That's who you want. You want the hungry players. So whereas before, it was just pure incompetency, some of the signing, some of the decisions to sell players, now I think it's a bit more considered. And that's a bigger game changer than I think a lot of people outside of the club realise. I think you also see that too in... Um... You know, because I, I think in, in previous episodes, you know, Martino and I and even Pet, I mean, even maybe Tom in one of the ones that we did in the past where we talked about the parallels and the crossover between um, the baseball model of recruitment versus the football model of recruitment and how those two worlds are starting to collide here, where we often hear in baseball, you know, these contracts that are getting paid out for players in their 30s and upwards, you're paying them and compensating them based off past experiences, not what they're going to potentially accomplish for you. And I think you could see with the way their transfer policy is now is that, yes, they have the money. They can get anybody they want. We all know that. And they have in the past. But they're a little bit more calculated, a little bit more shrewd with where they're putting their 30 to 40, 50 million. Like, like Mendez is, 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 a, is a wonderful addition. He's young. He still has a lot to prove. He's going to try and break into the Portuguese national team and be the guy going forward. But he's still very much young and you're going to get years of, of good quality football out of him. Would you agree there that they're their sort of philosophy has changed quite a bit. Yeah, I think I think he's a good example because he was he was signed under Leonardo's stewardship. And judging how Leonardo has done every transfer in his life, I'm convinced he, he accidentally bought him. Right? He probably saw Mendes and thought it was the agent, because such is his <laughs> reputation with the agents. But that's a signing that was that's a Campos signing that he never made. Like you, that was a. It's a weird one that's turned out well, but it was weird because it was very unlike a Leonardo thing to do, simply because he wasn't playing in Serie A and he wasn't a Mina Riola agent, uh, client. But I just think, like you said, there's a tendency now to buy young, really good players to complement the really good players they already have. Like, instead of buying 28-year-olds on €300,000 a week contracts, to sit on the bench. What's the point when you could just buy a 23-year-old for 15 to 20 million on less wages who, when he does get his chance, will play his heart out? Well, it is obviously a very good footballer as well, but there's a bit more just, uh, hunger and a desire about mm-hmm. it. Do you, know, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't don't dislike Ander Herrera. I think he's a very good player. But again, what, like, he's staying in Paris now. I don't blame him for this, to pick up a wage packet. <laughs> yeah. Any normal human being would. It's, and it's like, they need to get away from that kind of player. Because there was a lack of a culture, right? I mean, like, alter, like think about cl- the biggest clubs in the world that are changing managers that often. I think only Real Madrid is that successful. Real, Real right? Madrid have got mystique about them. That's why. They, yeah, they, well, exactly. exactly yeah. It's exactly why they won the Champions League. Because if no other club in the world ever no. could have done this run they've done. Do you know, like, it was, it was 
people kind they of talk accidentally about, won it. They accident the same way that Leonardo accidentally signed a good player. They accidentally won the the Champions League. <laughs> I, it's it's true though, and it's really and and the interesting thing is like with the Leonardo signing uh, last year, and Matt would agree with this too. Gianluigi Donnarumma, you don't get rid of Kaylor Navas. I thought it was so stupid to literally tell Kaylor, yeah. You're going to be our goalkeeper for the league, and we have Gianluigi as as the keeper for cups <laughs> and like you know the French Cup, and then and he lost his first penalty shootout in the French Cup when they got eliminated, um, and they lost that cup. I forget who they lost to. I know you would know. Crystal Gautier's um, niece with the goalkeeper for, funnily enough, the goalkeeper for Nice uh, was on loan from Paris Saint Germain. <laughs> but there you go. That's why we have you on for this as an expert. <laughs> but it's. But it's, and, and Matt would say this too, now there's way more of a clear-cut plan. I think he lucked into getting, honestly, at this point, I think the ceiling for their fullbacks, wingbacks, whatever you want to call them, is the best in the world, the best duo in the world. Um, I think that it clearly could surpass Liverpool because what Nunez could become on the left is, I think, better than any left-back in the world eventually. And then Hakimi is the best wing-back in the world for on the right side, especially when he's on. And he's still relatively young as well. Um, I guess we'll just have to see how that that goes down. Um, Milan played Marseille uh, not too long ago in a friendly. And they beat them down pretty bad. And they finished second in the league last season. But I heard there was some chaos afterwards. There's a lot of drama going on. Can you fill us in on what the heck is going on over there? Because we've heard a lot of you know, kind of vague statements. And sometimes it's difficult to get proper translations, especially over in the States, on what exactly is going on. I just know there's drama there. What do you know about that? So what happened was Jorge Sampaoli, um, the human egg with tattoos, he (laughs) took over and completely changed the club. They were fantastic. They pressed. They were... They were a team for the fans who put in effort, who had a sprinkling of magic in Dimitri Payet and, don't laugh, Arcadius Milik, who were top players for them. They finished second, admittedly, a long way off from Paris Saint-Germain, but that's not, it's not the end of the world. And then this summer comes around, William Saliba goes back to Arsenal, Matteo Guendouzi's move is made permanent, but they were going to do that anyway, it was an obligatory part of the loan deal. From what I remember, and from what I could understand, Jorge Sampaoli wanted Anton Griezmann and Axel Witzel to be added to the squad. The Marseille board just went, nah, you're good, fam, and just moved away. They moved to different targets, and Sampaoli just went, I'm off. I'm gone. See you later. If you're not going to back me, where's all this Champions League money gone? What's going on? I can't work in these conditions, blah, blah, blah. He's, he quits. It seems like disaster. Because it is disaster. He turned the club around. And yes, with proper backing, he probably does take him to a different level. The problem is, Marseille, along with other French clubs at the moment, are not in a position to uh, take themselves to another level. Because it isn't exactly clear what the next level is. You know, if we just use, as an example, Tottenham Hotspur and Arsenal in the Premier League. They finished fourth and fifth, respectively. Tottenham finished higher and above Arsenal, of course. Let's never forget that. But also... <laughs> They both spent big in the market because they both recognised they were in positions to take themselves to the next level and there are positions for them to grow, both in Europe and domestically in the league. 
with Marseille, the only thing they could do is get out of the group stage of the Champions League, hope for a good draw in the last 16, and maybe cut the gap to Paris Saint-Germain to single digits. That's, in the opinion of the Marseille board, not worth spending 150 million euros on, especially when they're not exactly blessed with money. So what happens is, Jorge Sampaoli leaves, Igor Tudor comes in, it's a very odd name for me to say, as you can tell. He comes in, and a lot of people are underwhelmed by it, because he's not Sampaoli. In the same way that when Jesse Mars turns up to Leeds, people are underwhelmed by it, simply because he's not Marcelo Bielsa. That's simply the case. Reports are that a couple of players are unhappy with Tudor's uh, methods, and you know, there's a strong rumour that one of them, uh, we'll call him uh, Primitri Diet, for the sake of this, um, is not entirely happy <laughs> with how he's operating in training. They play a friendly game, and they get they get they get smacked by Milan. Uh, they then play at the Velodrome, and when his name is read out to the fans, there is a chorus of boos. Bearing in mind, the fella hasn't managed a game yet, but that's not the point. For the fans, it represents kind of the problems that Marseille have in the sense that they finally have a manager, probably the first since Bielsa, that's really, really good, and he quits. He quits because the, he doesn't feel he's backed. It's unfortunate, but it, that's just it's just how it is. Um, I feel like they're in a bit of a cycle where they perform well one year, and because they're such a traditionally big, big club and well-supported, there is an expectation for them to kick on and you know, challenge for the title, when the reality is it's very difficult to challenge uh, for a title with a club that has essentially bottomless pits. That any time that club loses a league title, like when Monaco beat Paris Saint-Germain to the title, Paris Saint-Germain bought Neymar for a world record fee and Kylian Mbappe. When Lille beat them to the title, they brought Lionel Messi in. So it's a kind of like a beat them at your peril. With Marseille, I think Tudor will be fine as long as he keeps matching the results he did at the weekend. You know, he beat Rams 4-1 at home. It was made front page of Le Keep. And I think whilst he was booed at first, I think they will come round to him in the end because they don't have a choice. Sampaoli's gone. He's not coming back because there is no money at the club or if there is any money at the club, it's to keep them afloat. And I think it's an unfortunate position for them to be in, but that's that's just how it is. St. Angel, any thoughts? No, I, I think what's interesting too, um, Tom, is is seeing you know which, which teams have you know traditionally a large supporter base, um, you know, large uh, global appeal, or at least you know from, a, from the grander scheme of things, you know, they have that sort of pedigree as being you know a big team in a in a league like the French league or the Premier League, right? And you can associate like Marseille with that, right? Like you go back years past, they're they're a strong team. They're they've won league titles, they've made deep runs in the Champions League. But you start to see that with the the way the landscape of the fo- uh, of football is going, with with big money, you too big to fail uh, entities. You know, uh, which teams kind of get left in, in 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 the dust, right? And I think for the longest time, you yeah. saw that with you know clubs like Milan, where. They were you know, penny pinching. They were getting guys on these uh, these cheap loans or free transfers, hoping that they can scratch and claw themselves to a top four finish. And I think what what comes down to is that you're in such a league like that where it's, it's monopolized by PSG. Like you know, with the exception of the one year where it was Monaco or Lille, like they've run the table. They're going to keep running the table. So it's like if you try and play the game and beat them out there, 
or, or beat them beat them from a from a transfer policy standpoint, you're gonna get smoked on the field. Like I think there's got to be some sort of yeah. balance between you know backing your coach, but also coming to the realization that we can't spend 150 200 million on three players like some of these other clubs. So what's our what's our next move? How are we going to scout a little bit better? We're going to try and build a team that you know look if we're getting raided by these top clubs, so be it. That's how I think clubs with Marseille's um, uh, position have to act. Otherwise, there's just no way. There's no way around it. Like I, I just think that for some people like to have those expectations, it's just unrealistic. You're not going to go in there and get the guys that you think you're going to get to compete with PSG because it's almost near impossible. Exactly. And if you're trying to run a tight ship financially, you're not going to be spending loads of money on Axel Witzel and Anton Griezmann because from a footballing club point of view, it just doesn't make sense. If you try to play Paris Saint-Germain in terms of spending loads of money, you're going to go with the way of Bordeaux and Saint-Étienne, which is either relegation, financial trouble, or the club will vanish. And that's just the reality of it. The alternative, which I think Monaco perfected really well under Luis Campos, ironically, was you buy the best of the rest, you build a team that could be successful, you would sell them off for loads of money and try to do it again. Doesn't always work, but you will you will succeed in it. They've done it under Campos, they did it they're doing it now under Paul Mitchell where they can buy Orient Tuameni, excuse me, for twenty odd million and then sell him for a hundred million because, you know, hype pains. And I'm not saying he's overhyped, I'm just saying if people had watched him initially, they probably signed him for fifty million instead of a hundred. But Marseille, sorry, Monaco got in there before they did. Marseille need to figure out how to do that better than anybody else. And that's that's just how football is. You saw it with the Ajax side that Tottenham Hotspur beat the Champions League semi-final a couple of years ago. Again, brilliant comeback from Lucas Moura. But what Ajax did was they went, right, we've got loads of great players. Let's sell them on, reinvest that money to keep, one, keep the club healthy, but two, find the next one of them. So... They sell Hakim Ziyech for thirty-five million, so they go and buy Anthony. Right. You know stuff like this. They sell Matias hmm. Delict. They then sell the Sandro Martinez. It's just how they operate. Marseille, just like Dortmund, yeah, exactly. Dortmund's policy now is to sign Erling Haaland, get him for two to three years, see what happens. Hopefully he's good. Hopefully he's healthy, and then sell him on for a load of money. They're going to do it. Do it with Jude Bellingham next summer. Oh yeah, he's going to have a good season. He's going to have a good World Cup. And he's going to be sold for 80 to 100 million. They did it with Sancho too. They've Same done thing. It with Sancho, they've done it with, I mean, I know Lewandowski left on a free and, you know, Gertz was X amount of money, but they've done it for so many years. And that is just how football is now. And it probably was football years and years ago. We just never really saw it because we convinced ourselves everything was a bit more competitive. And to be honest, it probably was. But they need, these clubs need to figure out how to sign Van Dyke before he's Van Dyke. Southampton did it years ago and they've not they've fallen off in terms of how they do it now. They've just enough to survive, but they don't produce a Sadio Mane, they don't produce a Victor Wanyama, Toby Adebayor, Virgil van Dijk anymore. That's just what happened. Monaco, sorry, I keep, keep in the same one. Marseille <laughs> need to do what Monaco did for many years. They need to kind of go, right, who's the third best player in Fika? Let's get in. Who's the best player at... Uh, RB Salzburg. Okay, hopefully he doesn't go to Leipzig, but get him. 
and then the selling one for profit. Yes, it's discouraging for the fans because you don't, you essentially have a squad of rotating players, but it's the, it's just how football is now. Yeah, unless you get unless you get like an insane ownership. Sorry, man. Unless you're bought by a country, it's it's basically that the, that's you know it's it's adapt it's adapt or die. It's it sounds harsh, but it's the honest truth of where football is, right? Like it's what Milan did. I think that look, people saw them and questioned that they had two hundred million to spend on a market. They fluffed it. Eleven eleven guys, they're all gone, right? Then you look at what they did on with probably a quarter of that. And their net transfer spending since, since Maldini Mazzara came in there. Guys like Leal for 25 and they got him. And people are like, wow, 25 million? They don't really spend that money these days. Now they have a potential player that can sell for 100. They did Fikao Tomori. They did Teo Hernandez. Mike Magnon. The list goes on and on and on. But they also picked their spots where they're scouting players that the, the mainstream f- football public isn't privy to yet. Pierre Kululu, you know, is another example. Yeah. So I think you have to you have to spend. We get that you have to spend because you can't just have no budget and expect to bring in a coach and appease the coach and build a project to his liking. But you have to pick your battles, and that's why I think now more than ever, it's it's happening for a club like Marseille. It's the sporting director behind the scenes. Who's your head of scouting? Who are your guys on the ground? Your foot soldiers out there in wider Europe bringing in talent on a cheap. That's what that's that's what those teams like Marseille have to do. Yeah, that's, that's exactly it. And I think the fact that so many clubs are looking at that model is testament to how it works. Are you? And again, Newcastle will, will be the next one because they're owned by, they say they're not, but they're owned by the Saudi government. Like, we're not idiots. That's just how it is. And I think that's, that's, just, that's just it. You buy a player for 20 million because you do have to spend money to buy these players in initially, because the club you're buying them from are not stupid. They know these players are good, and they know they, that if if a Premier League club is clever enough to scout in that area, their valuation doubles. Like the, Again, we were talking before the recording about the reputations of clubs now. If Milan come in for a player for £20 million, and then West Ham come in for, a, for the same player, he, he, he you probably get £25 million from Milan, and 40 million from West Ham. It's a Sven Boltman situation. Yeah. It is exactly it. Sven Boltman and the Newcastle and AC Milan, in terms of the status of the clubs, you're going to go to AC Milan. But Lille got more money from him going to Newcastle because it's Premier League, and Premier League money is old Serie A money. You know, like, that's just how mm-hmm. it is. But you need to find, you need to do what Lille did with Botman go to Ajax, buy him for 10 million, and then triple his valuation, or however much it was, in two to three seasons. He was linked to Liverpool within the first six months of him being at Lille. That's what you're meant to do. It, it's it's funny because you even see sometimes bigger clubs even do this on, on a different type of scale because the reinvestment is there almost immediately. But Manchester City is an incredibly smart team when it comes to sales. I think they do a great job with it. I think Juventus, even in the past as well, have proven to do that. They they were setting transfer records for this kind of stuff. And the way they replace it is, okay, a hundred and something million euros. But what could we do with that a hundred and something million euros if they spend wisely in other areas? Sure, you don't have to have the biggest transfer budget. But if you pay more money for the smartest directors, i.e. Campos with Monaco and then Lille, then you could have a chance to beat some of these teams. Um so yeah, I, I always find that fascinating. 
And we'll talk about Milan, right? And this is a topic that Matt wanted to discuss. Um, I'm interested in discussing this. And and I think the same would go for you, Tom. And this is a player that we've, the three of us have discussed together. Um, Yassine Adley. This is really the type of player that Milan have been scouting. Good background, um, comes from a strong academy, was in that PSG academy. Um, and again, right underneath their noses. And, and we see this happen. He was at Bordeaux last season. Grabbed around eight assists, uh, still very young at the age of 22 years, and was bought last August, and now had returned to Milan this summer. And uh, we'll see. We'll see. It doesn't look like he's going to be starting this weekend, but it says a lot about a player at that age playing for a team so poor, Tom. And we talked about this prior to the show. And Matt, you would agree with this. And you were big on him, bigger than anyone I know personally, uh, besides Tom. <laughs> but. I mean, eight assists for a really poor side, and his best match, arguably. Uh, Tom, you could you could you could speak to this better, but PSG, he worked them like that was he was arguably the best player on the pitch that game, and and to see something like that from a player at that age playing for a team like that, I think it raises some eyebrows in a positive way. Was that something that happened to you? I know you liked him prior to that, but. Did it kind of open your eyes of like, this kid has another level to reach that I didn't know? I think I've been a fan of his for quite a while. And he falls into the category, again, we'll go back to, very briefly onto Paris Saint-Germain and, the, and the, the, the poor decisions they made. But I think one thing that I will defend them with is not an environment for young players to develop in. And yeah. the, the players that have left them, like Christopher and Kunku, uh, Moussa Diaby both went to Germany and Yassine Adli went to Bordeaux. Just three examples of players who would not have been the players they are if they had stayed for many reasons. But I do think that these players, and Adli is one of them, he has the talent to be incredible. Now, what he does with that talent is up to him. And I think he's in, he's in, he's in a really good place to nurture it and develop it. Uh, as, as a good young Milan side who have some players I love. Like, I think Mike Magnon is one of the best goalkeepers in Europe. I think he's the best goalkeeper in Italy. He's better mm. than Donnarumma. You know, again, another, yep. he's another one that left Paris Saint-Germain and he needed to, and he's developed because of it. He wouldn't be the goalkeeper he was if he stayed. And I think Adley's going to be in another, another, another one to that list of... Yes, he can. That, that level he reached against Paris Saint Germain, I think, was down to the, the you know, I think they call it the chip on the shoulder effect, where <laughs> they've been slighted by one club and they want to stick it to them a little bit. So they'll, they'll raise their game a little, little bit more. And I don't blame him for that. I just think mm. what we will see at Milan, and I think I said this last year when we spoke to each other last about Adley, was he will not start every single game, but the games he does play mm. in, you will notice his talent. He may give the ball away. He may make risky passes. But I think that the key is for him to develop the confidence to try them and to showcase just what he can do because he's good enough to, to do them. I think when you perform that well in, a, in such a bad team, like I'm, I'm not going to lie, they were awful for 38 games in the season, yet he still came out of it. You know, he's coming out of this going to Milan not affected by this. Like, he's, he's going to be fine. He's a very talented footballer. And I think if you were to put him in one of many clubs in Europe, 
I think Milan, right now, and the way they play and the way they're structured alongside other players they've got, is probably the perfect place for him to develop his skills because they've shown with other players that they'll give them time to develop. They've, the other players have also developed in this current system. So I'm, ha- I'm happy for him to be in a place like this as opposed to uh, Paris Saint-Germain where there would be an expectation of you have to be good right away and you have to be at Champions League winning level to do it. If you know what I mean. I think with Adley too, it's, it's, what I see so far, what stands out the most is... Um, you know, the fact that he has so many qualities that, that really fit the, the Italian style of football. I, I, I look at a player who has good vision. He has the pass, passing range and ability. He's got the creative ability where he's not going to be the fastest guy on the pitch. He's not going to be the guy that dazzles the most. But I think to your point, Tom, I think you put it perfectly, is you're going to notice him. Like, you're going to notice him at the Like, it's even with, like, that's saying the same, he's the same player as Pirlo. But if you look at Pirlo and the way he played, he looked very casual in everything that he did. But then you look at the, his impact on the game and you're like, that Pirlo, they're not winning this game. Or the midfield isn't isn't running as smoothly as it is. So I look at a player like Adley that you ha- he can play a little wide. He can play behind the strikers because he is creative enough. But he also knows how to take the air out of the ball and play in a double pivot. And I think, you know, if it had Milan waited until this summer to maybe acquire him and go back in and try to get a deal done with Bordeaux, Maybe they could have gotten him for a little bit less because of Bordeaux's situation, but I'd argue you'd have much more stiff competition because everyone's going to France for their talent, right? Like at the time of this move, there was, I was even thinking, I'm like, why would they spend 10 million on a player, 8 million on a player that's not going to really help aid them in a Champions League um, or top four, top four contention and a Scudetto? And now you see why. And that's why these are the smartest clubs that tend to have the most success when they don't really have maybe the most to spend on the topic of Marseille, right? Like, this is how you get get ahead of the curve, get ahead of the game. Charles de Quetelaire, two years they've been on him. If they weren't on him for two years, he's probably going to another club and he's probably going for much more than they spent. So I, I, I think it's a true testament to Milos' transfer policy. And I also think it's a true testament to the strength of French football that despite the 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 shortcomings of Bordeaux and them getting relegated, you can still find really good quality and value in teams like that. Milan did it with Empoli when they got Benacer. Look at him, right? Outcast at Arsenal, bounced around in France, and now they got a player that's probably worth three times what they spent on. Hundred percent, hundred percent. There's so much talent in that league. Like for all the for all the all, it's disgusting. For all the backrooms it gets for the competitiveness of it. And don't get me wrong, I know it's not very competitive. I'm not pretending it is. <laughs> but if you were to go through the squads and look at the star players in those squads, like it, it does baffle me. And this is very like football, European football nerd of me. But when you see like fans in England kind of going, who's this Bruno Gimmerish fella? He's really, <laughs> really good for Newcastle now. Why did no one else buy him? You know, Jabronis like me is sat there kind of going, I've, I know him. I've been watching him for two years. I could have told you Tottenham Hotspur Arsenal to buy him. I mean, that. I mean, it even happens with Kula Belief, for, for fuck's sake. Excuse my language. I mean, this guy was, was in a in a Napoli side beating Liverpool at Anfield, and then all of a sudden he plays one match for Chelsea against a garbage Everton side, and they're like, this guy's the greatest player in the world. It's like, well, you know what? Like, there's like a football and awakening that, like, wow, like, for good football players exist out of the Premier League. Like, wow, we didn't know that. 
<laughs> it's it's like Americans discovering espresso through Starbucks. It's like get the fuck out of here. Uh, <laughs> good footballers <laughs> exist outside of the Premier League, but they only become good footballers when they play in the Premier League. That's the lesson for today. If you take anything away from the 45 minutes. Kulavali's played like 10 years coming up to it in Napoli. He's been consistently one of the best defenders in Europe in a team that is not always challenging for the title. But now he's good. Now he's really become world class. I like that I like sound. I'll get you. People said the same thing about Thiago Silva too. Like I, I remember, I think it, oh, I, it was it was ne- it was Nisar Kinzella who you know obviously he's a huge Chelsea guy for for goal for goal.com. Does a great job. We had him on the Milan reports yeah. before, and he he was like he would tweet about Silva and people were like oh, wow like I'm, I'm I can't believe we have Silva. He reads the game so well. I'm like dude, he's thirty. He's been he's been great for a decade. Like since he was at Milan, he was great. I oh my god, so funny because I made I made this point to someone. I think it might have been Pet. Or so, it was the funniest thing because I'm like, I've never actually seen a player that hit his peak at 28 at Milan and then disappeared <laughs> in Paris for so many years where he was apparently shit, but goes to London in his late 30s and all of a sudden is great again. Who who sucks for their entire 30s and then ends up there and then refines his peak like he's Andrea Barzai. Like, I, I don't understand, like, how it, it's it's pure ignorance, quite honestly. But we're not going to get into that because we, we want to <laughs> keep it to, to this. Uh, that, that's my fault for taking it to that level. But, Tom, we don't have much time left. Matt, I understand you wanted to talk about Fofana. Um, yeah, well, I mean, I, I, Fofana is a player that's, um, you know, he, he has an interesting career path. Like, he, he's been in the Manchester City youth system. He played actually really well, perhaps under the radar at Udinese, in part because... Um, you know, they don't really have a vast pool of talent there, but the good players do stand out and eventually they do make pretty significant moves elsewhere. But in the case of Fofana, it's interesting because when he left Udinese, I don't think really people started to like, ah, this he's a you know, mid-20s and a midfielder. He doesn't score a lot of goals. He's not the most uh, technical player. But now you're starting to see a plan him get back on the radar of Milan. And I just want to get your thoughts on, mm. you know, is he a player that, do you find has um, similar qualities to Kessie because they do need someone, everyone's saying replace Kessie, replace Kessie. And in reality, you don't really replace Kessie because a player like that cost 30 to 40 million. But do you think he's a player that based on maybe his experience in France, he can come back to Milan and have this sort of um, uh, additional um, step in his game, um, being part of a team that, you know, obviously is, is, is a champion, is a team that's in the Champions League. Um, and spiping 28 still has a lot to give. What do you think about that? I love the guy. I think he's an incredible footballer. Like, when when Lons had their had, they had a really good season last year and they just missed out on... They, they were pushing Champions League qualification for, for some time. And there were players that really stood out in that team for me. Uh, one of them was Kelly Mwendo, who's now back on loan at Paris... Back from loan at Paris Saint-Germain, uh, who they are looking to sell alongside... Um, our friend Mauro Cardi and uh, Jonathan Klaus, <laughs> who was one of the best right wing backs in Europe last year and the year before that, who's now gone to Marseille, and Seko Fofana, who was he got and this is this will sound familiar, but people likened him to Yaya Torre, and there are three reasons why: one, because he plays for the Ivory Coast; uh, two, he is a central midfielder, and I'll leave you to guess the third reason. He's not Yaya Torre. He's not, and he's not Golo Kante. He's not Claude McAlaney. 
put them put all of them things to one side, the guy can do pretty much everything. And he does it well. Like, I remember when Paul Pogba joined Man United and people said, Oh, like, you you watch that European football, what's he like? I said, he can do everything. The guy can score a forty yard screamer and put a ball through the eye of a needle. The guy is ridiculously talented. I'm not comparing the two here, but I get the same vibe from Profana where it's like, if you want him to be a defensive midfielder, he's going to do it. If you want him to be a box-to-box midfielder, he's going to do it. If you want him to play further forward and create a couple of chances and maybe arrive into the bottom penalty area seconds late to get on the end of the cross, just like Frank Pard used to do, he can do it. The guy is a wonderful player. I, I wanted him Paris Saint-Germain in the summer because I thought it just made so much sense. I think Lons wanted quite a lot of money for him. I think that just mean, that might just be the we know you're owned by a country tax that Paris Saint-Germain sometimes get hit with. But it kind of goes back to what we were saying about clubs buying differently and buying with different wages in that Milan may get it for cheaper because Lons know they're not as cash-rich as other clubs are. If he was to turn up at AC Milan, I would I would be so happy for him and the club because the bloke is phenomenal. I'm a I don't know if you can tell, but I'm a really big fan of him. I think <laughs> I think if he turns up at Milan, then quarterfinals in the Champions League. Is that what you say? Oh, I won't go that far. You know, I like him <laughs> to a point. Um, I would say you retain the title and you reach the knockout rounds of the, the of the Good Champions enough. League. I'll take that. I I would take that for you as well. He's unbelievable. Like he will be if you do sign him, he will be player of the year. Yeah. If you do, let's, mm-hmm. in this imaginary world, let's hypothetically say that he signs for you tomorrow. <laughs> he he probably wins your player of the year. Wow, wow. I think with Fofana too is it's interesting because he was a player that when he was at Udinese, I always thought I'm like, oh, he's 25, you're 24, like. There, there, there's got to be someone that's going to come in there and say like this guy's got a potential like a Premier League team maybe a middle of the table Premier League team um, so the fact that he like he again at 28 he's starting to get that those 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 eye-opening um, performances and he's starting to get that recognition I think again it, it's more of a testament maybe you can say yes he has the, all the different qualities but he strikes me more as a player that if he did join Milan he would be a great locker room presence. He would be a guy that would really be the glue in that midfield because you have a lot of young, talented uh, midfielders, yes, but you still need a little bit of that savvy veteran presence where you can throw him into a a, a, a chippy derby or a game in the Champions League and he's going to put in a really good shift when maybe you're relying on a lot of the other younger guys who are still maybe not quite mature there yet. Yeah, I mean, I remember Lons played, I think it was relatively early in the season. They played at home to Paris Saint-Germain and the fans were electric. The atmosphere was great. And you could tell that Pochettino's side were rattled. And Fofana ran the game. Like, he did not look undeterred by any of the people he was up against that day. He, he was phenomenal. He was absolutely mm. fantastic. So if you were to put him into a Milan derby or, or a home tie against Juve, where the San Siro is bouncing, I don't think he looks that... I don't think he's overwhelmed by it. Yeah, he was really composed in his interview um, that, that, that was given about that situation. I just, I think that's the profile that Milan really 
uh, search for is is the type of background and the player. Like I was mentioning earlier with Adley, and they they mentioned that in that interview when they talked uh, to James Horncastle at the Athletics. So uh, that's even better insight. Um, too bad we're broke boys, um, and that won't be <laughs> happening anytime soon. Until who knows? Maybe something gets finalized with the ownership, and we see something in January. But who knows? Um, Tom Skulls, underratedly funny. Really appreciate you on any time that you jump on uh, to talk. Also a fan of American sports. Tom, where can everyone find you um, and see your work? So I am at underscore Tom Scold on Twitter. If uh, I'm going to do my company man speech here. If you would like to follow at TalkSport on Twitter and on subscribe on YouTube, that would help me in my actual job uh, probably get a pay rise. And that would be very much appreciated. We do have some characters on air. Uh, I am not one of them, but if you but if you just want to follow me and my rambling, it is at underscore Tom Scholes on Twitter. Amazing, amazing. Um, Matt, where can everyone find you? You can follow me on Twitter at Matt underscore Santangelo. Going to be contributing a lot to Football Italia this season, predominantly writing on Milan. I have some articles coming out ahead of the Serie A opening round this weekend. Also, make sure you guys follow us on Milan Reports at MilanReports.com, post-match streams, all the good stuff. And Tom, one last thing. Um, I don't know how, how close you are with Paul Ross, but he's been getting me on for this, uh, this 10 to 10 PM slot here to, to talk some transfers here. So I don't know if you speak to him, but tell him I said hello. Uh, I will speak to his producers. He's on far too late for my bedtime. <laughs> Same here, actually. They had me on just like a, a couple of weeks ago too. It's, and that Matt, Matt put me on to that. So appreciate all of that of great stuff at TalkSport. Uh, they're huge on TikTok as well. Um, you can follow me at Martino Puccio on Twitter and all other social media, Martino underscore Puccio, all the proper football stuff we do at 137pm.com. And that and working at The Athletic as well. I'm going to have some more... Uh, betting articles. So if you are a local degenerate, tune in. Um, <laughs> other than that, Tom Scholes, really appreciate you once again. Bet, always a great chat. And uh, other than that, you can listen to some more key.